Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. We are live for the second time this week. What a beautiful thing. HF Pod Live coming at you Wednesday, April 6th, 2022. What a good day to be here. What a good afternoon to hang out with RJ and Megan. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast on tour live coming to your living rooms, your place of work, your cell phones, wherever you may be at this point in time. Thank you for joining us and hanging with us here in the afternoon hour. RJ, let's start with you. How are you doing here today? I'm great. Nice to see you both. Um, I'm just I'm just ready to, to talk about fish with you guys. It's that simple. Just talk about fish. That's Every week, we're like, what are we going to talk about? And someone just says, can we just talk about fish? I'm like, fine, let's just talk about fish, you know? Megan, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I am also excited to talk about fish. There's kind I'm of a twist this excited. week, too. There's a little bit of a twist. There's a slight twist. A little bit of a twist. So that's fun. Some would say there's an island tour twist. Mm-hmm. That level of a twist. (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode, we are talking about Mr. Chris Carota, the lighting director for the rock band Fish, talking about his impact on fish history, what we love and appreciate about him, as well as we are going to dive a bit into a quick celebration of the island tour, because like the both of you, I'm guessing, 
I know you are, Jay. Megan, I'm guessing you're the same way. I listen to the Island Tour once a year on the anniversary days of, of the Island Tour happening. I don't listen to it at all throughout the rest of the year. I've listened to it so many times that it just comes up for me in early April every year. And every year I listen to it and go, my God, what an incredible thing that this band did. And I can't wait to dive into that with you guys. It's going to be good. We are also going to be clarifying some fish history around Chris Kuroda because part of the reason that we're talking about Chris Kuroda today is 33 years ago tomorrow, he sat in on lights for the very first time, which is just news that was confirmed to us here uh, coming over the airways uh, just about five minutes ago, which should be fun to tie, to dive into, you know? Breaking news. We're breaking news all the time. Breaking news all the time here at HF Pod. If you have some news that needs to be broken, it could be fish related. (laughs) It could be local news. We will cover it because we are a national, nationally syndicated and locally reported fish news organization here. I mean, Brian loves to talk about the weather. So if you want to talk about the weather, we can do that too. The weather is insane right now. We had 116 mile an hour winds on the eastern plains of Colorado yesterday. It is crazy. I tried to go outside and run today, and it felt like I was running uphill the entire time. It was terrible. That's why you need to get on your Peloton, Brian. This is true. This is an uh, ongoing battle. You are battle so into me. your Peloton, huh? RJ, you're I mean, inspiring I'm just, me. It's just a it's just a great way to exercise. We can talk about it more if you guys want, but um, but maybe we should do that off off live. That's probably more well, appropriate. <laughs> Peloton is not currently a sponsor of Osiris Media, but with the amount that Osiris Media's CEO posts about Peloton, you would think that we should, not we that should probably get sponsors. <laughs> I just don't like the stationary aspect. I am mm. I, I need to be in movement and um my wife loves the Peloton. She puts in more work on the Peloton for, for the both of us. So she, she fulfills the monthly <laughs> subscription in our house, but I, I love, I love going outside and running, but I think you're probably right with the weather right now uh, in early spring in Colorado, I should probably jump on the Peloton this afternoon. Before I do that though, we are here to tell you about our sponsor at Sunset Lake CBD. Who's doing the sponsorship read today? I, I completely forgot. To, am, am I doing this first one? Yeah, you're doing the first one. You're doing I'm it. Gonna do the, the second one. one. Cool. This is live TV. Uh, Sunset Lake <laughs> CBDs, smokable line of hemp products. Their line of smokable hemp products are for the old deadhead, the young fish fan, the teeny weeny goosehead, whoever it may be, who is searching for the mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects, things I know a lot about from smoking THC for years. With nine different strains from this year's harvest, there's something for everyone. Hawaiian haze is awesome for an outdoor show. Cherry abacus is best for the end of the night. All the flower is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better. Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping it directly from their farm to your door. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll be concise here. I love smoking grass. It's one of my favorite pastimes. I found smoking THC. It was. I still enjoy it, but it's an all-encompassing thing. It's the kind of thing that I can only really do at like 9.30 at night, sitting around a fire, throwing on some Neil Young and Crazy Horse, and just smoking some THC and just letting it take me away. CBD fits my lifestyle better. I can do it in the middle of the day. I can do it and still be a really good parent. I can do it and take a walk and get some like work stuff thought out in my head. There's so much that you can do with CBD and it just relaxes you. It mellows you out. It's absolutely perfect. I'd encourage all of you to check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the coupon code HFPOD. 20% 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. What a beautiful thing. And with that, let's jump into the show. Let's do it. Chris Corota. Chris Corota. What does that name mean to you guys? Let's start there. 
CK5. He's the fifth member of the band. That's what it means to me. I think that he's really influenced not only Fish, but also just the jam band scene enormously. I would say the rock scene as well, and just like Mm -hmm. lighting in general. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the best lighting designer out there. Yeah. And we're lucky to have him. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to like summarize that. I mean, it does, it affects the whole experience so much, you know? It's not just the lights, it's just like the way that they, which he's talked about before on Undermine and on other shows and in other interviews like he has a he's it's part of the it's part of the show you know and it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same at all with a different lighting designer i can't even imagine what a fish show would be like i think it would be pretty different yeah i mean i remember when i was first getting into the band and like you're learning all these different aspects of fish history and i don't know when it was but someone mentioned to me that oh yeah the lighting director lights the band along with the music and i was like what the heck? like what are you talking about and i you know, you tend to think about it in like various steps, but I I saw the war on drugs back in February and it was a killer show. And I noticed they had very similar, they had a similar rig to what Chris uses. They, they had those uh, like led lights that kind of like go up and down in bands and like they, they collect the smoke and like it, it gives this great effect. And I don't mean any disrespect, but it was very clear that the lighting director was not going along with the music and the impact of Chris using all of that technology with the way that fish is jamming in the moment adds something completely different to a show than you get from a standard rock show. Yeah. I mean, in the same way that the band can improv after being together this long, he can also do that too. And he knows the music so well, and he's so present and in the moment with them in a way that I think most lighting designers probably design the show and then just move on. And the show is the same every night. So to have someone there actually at that level operating the lights in the moment, it's just, it's pretty spectacular. I would also, I think, I think he's gotten more important over time, you know, to the music (laughs) and to the, to the experience. It seems like it's obviously partially technology. Like technology has become a much bigger part of rock shows in general, right? Between Brian and I talked about this a lot because our colleague Matt came up with this idea for a show about about U2's um, Zoo TV tour, which was like, that was like the, one of the first, right, Brian, to like really go all out with screens and technology. And now it's just like, it's insane the kinds of things people do at shows. But I think he's also, it's not just that he has like more advanced gear. It's, it's the, like this, just like we've talked about with the band, like he's gotten more experienced along with the band and he can just do more. He can just do more now than he, than he didn't before. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's pretty crazy to think about like a different lighting designer. I, I don't know. Would it be, would it be as different as I think it is? Or, or would it like, would someone be able to figure out how to like, press the same buttons over time. Well, it's an interesting question because we're going to talk about that because that (laughs) did happen um, prior to Chris Carota becoming the lighting designer. Uh, You know, I think it's his story adds to the lore of fish, this sense of like someone with zero lighting experience who just hears music and just seems to feel and embody music like in his soul. And that's just something you can't really put on a resume that's something you either have or you don't have you know it's kind of like the separation between from a sports standpoint like a guy who can you know get you outs as a reliever and a guy who has like two or three pitches that are just completely unhittable you know there's there's just there's people who are they can they can they are lighting directors they're lighting designers and then there's someone like chris garota who takes it to a completely different level i mean i think something you said megan that's really interesting is it's set this standard in the jam band world where if you're a jam band on the rise, you can't just jam in concert. You can't just play a different set every night. You can't just have like gimmicks and inside jokes with your fans. You have to also have this other component of a lighting director who's going to showcase your show in a way that a standard lighting show or light show will not do. And that adds just another element to the culture of the scene while then also impacting the rock, you know, or the like the sports world. Like you watch a Knicks game on TV, and when they show like 
the commercial broadcast, like the lights are all Chris Kuroda and the ambiance that's set in MSG during a Knicks game, a Rangers game, now at the Chase Center during a Warriors game, it's all Chris Kuroda's vision. So part of the reason that we were talking about this, um, a bit of behind the scenes, we've built out a huge log of important dates and important events in fish history that we are using as we build out episodes here going forward from a live standpoint. And in that, we had 4789 from the Old Stone Church in Newmarket, New Hampshire. There is it's an incomplete set list. The only songs that we have on here are Colonel Foreman's Ascent into Famous Mockingbird. And it reads in the show notes that the set list is incomplete. This show marks the beginning of Chris Carota's career as Fish's lighting director. Chris ran lights during Mockingbird while the then lighting director, Chris Steck Stetcher, was in the bathroom. Trey compliments Stetcher on the lights for Mockingbird after later learning that it was Carota who actually ran the lights through that song. Chris was then named the new lighting director the following day. I love that. Do you think he was like that Chris Stector was like, oh, yeah, they were great. Yeah, for sure. Like, mm-hmm, you're welcome. And then later I was like, it wasn't me. Like what an ill-timed bathroom run. <laughs> it also like leads to the lore of just like, Corona, because I've I've read they don't say it here, but I've read this in other places that like they had three lights at the time. It was like a yellow, green, <laughs> and red light or something like that. And he basically just alternated between green and blue or green and yellow uh, during the you know the the riff in Mockingbird. And Trey was like, "Whoa, this guy's like finally hearing our music and aligning the lights with our music." And that was like the simplest, like, this is what you would go to if you just were stepping in for one song to play with fish. It's like so great. So that's, that's crazy. Um, I was looking at the stone church. Do you guys know about the stone church? No. It's like this, it's a really um, small and interesting place. It's been there for 50 or so years. And um, they've had like, I mean, the number of people who played there is is pretty wild. They've had like Aerosmith and um, a bunch of bands that I, I think it's a little bit of like a destination, you know, even though it's a, a small a small place. Um, but I want to try to. How do I show a picture? Is that a possible thing? Yeah, it is a possible thing. What are you trying to? I'll, show I, I, I'm just. I, we can do it later. It's too complicated. I just want to show you guys what the stone church looks like. So I think we should go there and I think we should do a live HF pod from there at some point. Cause it looks like an awesome place, but it has a really small stage and some tables and a bar. And so I'm wondering like how much the lights really matter in a place like that, because it seems like for them to notice, it must've been pretty, a pretty big deal, but the lights that are there are like, you know, the stage built in stage lights. So I don't know how much you could actually do with, with a place like that, but it seems like they, they did it. It seems like they did it. And it's this, I don't know. It's just like this happy accident that happens in their career. Cause if you think about fish in the spring of 1989, you know, we did an entire season a year ago on the 1980s. And one of our conclusions was that by 1989 fish was essentially fish. They had an idea about what their best songs were. Um, they had an idea about how to structure a show starting in 1989. I mean, for God's sakes, they played the Paradise two months earlier, one of the biggest gigs in Fish history, and Chris Carota has nothing to do with it. You know, it's it's this monumental moment for the band. They've played faux festivals at this point in time, and here they are, a fairly well-established college rock band. Um, you think about the... Uh, dinner movie that they showed from Northampton, Massachusetts, that was April 1st, or that was May 1st, 1989. That was just a few weeks after this. So like, and by that point, fish seemed to have like a pretty clear understanding of who fish was and what show they're trying to bring to people. And all the while they run into this guy who starts working for them, who happens to be the future of lighting in rock concerts. It's, it's crazy to conceive of that actually being a realistic story. That is, that is crazy. Um, 
So, okay, Brian, I just, I'm just going to do the, I'll try something real quick here. Look at that. <gasps> there it is. It. Well done. So that's, that's the stone church. So you look at how much room the lighting designer has to work with. <laughs> <laughs> There's like the three can lights. Yeah, exactly. That's like all there is. But apparently Kuroda did a did an amazing job with them. Well, they're probably just like stationary on like maybe switching colors and then Kuroda just like flashed them and then that was all it took. Yeah, and it must have all been more took. about about the syncing with the music mm -hmm. as opposed to like what he was doing with the lights. So um I hope that visual aid was helpful. But although people who are listening um after, um, it's not gonna be that helpful. So sorry. They can look it up. They can look it up. True. Good point. And good motive, yeah. good motivation for them to watch the live. And I got a shout out for being able to pull that off. It's important to recognize that. Um, so, I think that this uh, speaks to who they are, though. That this guy, I mean, he answered an ad in the paper and became a roadie. And a week later, right? He started on the thirtieth, three thirty. Is that right, Brian? Um, 89 as a roadie and like a week later he just happens to jump on the light rig to fill in for someone for a minute and becomes this integral part of the band and the show and I think that's just who Fish is they've always kind of had a magic about them yeah it's it's funny because as we were preparing for this I was um I noticed Kevin Shapiro tweeted last week on the 30th that this was Corona's first day with the band. And I went back and forth, emailed him, was emailing with Charlie Dirksen uh, because the fish.net reference is that this was the first date. April 7th was the first date of him um, on the rig. The Farmer's Almanac, the Fish Companion all say that this show actually happened a week prior to the 30th. And that the 30th was his first show as a as the lighting director. I think we have it sorted out now. I just heard from Charlie Dirksen before we went live that the 30th was, to your point, Megan, his first day as a roadie. And that a week later just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Chris Stetcher goes to the bathroom, says, hey, man, can you just step in? Just like I just need you to watch this lighting rig. That's like just hit a few buttons. Make sure it looks like the show is going on. I'll be right back. Him coming right back means that Chris Kuroda is now the lighting director uh, forever, which is uh, crazy. The only shows that he has not been the director for Fish uh, Fish concerts was the April 15th, 16th, and 17th shows of 2004. He was out for personal reasons. Fenton Williams of the Dave Matthews Band was there. And to your question, RJ, will we notice a difference? Yes. Yes. I mean that was that was a really bad um, bad luck that that guy had to do those shows, <laughs> right? <laughs> because I don't All think I'm... anyone could have saved those shows really. <laughs> Maybe at it was some point we're going to address something. those shows because I was there. I have very complicated thoughts on them, but uh, yes, yeah, I, I don't think anybody could have. <laughs> Were you at those shows? Yeah, yeah. Mm. It was it was complicated <laughs> for everyone. Um, I totally, what? I didn't even know that though. I didn't even know that that. I didn't that either. That I remember it was announced now. like the day before that, oh, by the way, Corona's not going to be here, but hey, everyone come down. Everyone's going to have, we're all going to have a really good time. It's going to be awesome. It's Vegas in spring. And um, man, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a messy experience. <laughs> all i know is i'm never going to the bathroom during an hf pod live because someone could just like jump in and take my spot like my kid or my dog i don't know somebody could just jump in so you have to be careful you do have to be careful you gotta, <laughs> you gotta kids got great fish opinions you gotta, <laughs> you gotta protect you gotta protect it you gotta protect the seat yeah for real <laughs> apparently <laughs> I would be curious to hear, and it would be awesome to hear at some point this 4789 show, because I, I, I just, I have to imagine with how talkative Trey was at the point in time at the end of Mockingbird, he, he must have shouted out the lights. You just, you have to imagine that at some point he was like, Hey, did everyone see that? That was cool. Um, I did go back and I was listening to just as I was trying to figure all this out, the 33089 show from um the front in burlington and just a couple quick points uh about this show it has uh three debuts 
one of which would be with the band for a long, long time. The the Mango song opens the second set. And um, it's clear the band just doesn't have a grip on the chorus at that point in time. It's it's very endearing, but it's a it's a total like we don't know what to do with this song. Um, the Price of Love debuts, which if you have not heard of that song, it's because it's a it's a ninja custodian song, which was uh Fish's brethren in Burlington. They play it with members of Ninja Custodian. Uh, it was played at one of two shows, this one and Ian's Farm in May of 89. To me, it sounds like what Fish would sound like if they wrote songs like OAR or like Dispatch. It has a very like Northeastern frat bro-y vibe to it. Um, and then Undone, a song by the Guess Who debuts, which was an early Fishman antic song. So fun show. Definitely one of those like just dive into the the history of um, Fish in these kind of small little venues. but. I had a question for you all. Kuroda sitting in during this Mockingbird. Is this the greatest what if in fish history? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not by that. I think there's, I can't think of an alternative at the moment. There must've been a point. There must've been some point when Paige played with them. I don't know if there was like mm. rehearsals or an audition or how Paige actually got involved in the first place, but that might be, if there was like a moment, then that would be the moment. But I don't know if that's there a, was. That's a good point. Cause there was the, like, I think Mike was petitioning for Paige to join the band mm -hmm. and Trey was like, no, we're a two guitar band. We don't, we don't need keyboards. Um, but that's a good point. What if Jeff yeah. stayed or what if Dobbs stayed? Yeah. What if fish had a percussion percussionist? That would be, that would be interesting. What if they were a two guitar band? That would totally change the dynamic things. Yeah. Jeff stayed. That would have been huge. But, but this sit in for one song, you know, whatever it was, six minutes of, of history. And it completely changes as we were talking about, like it changes jam band history. It changes. Look at Phil Cassetta's picture is the hourglass. Could you imagine mm -hmm. that being possible with any other lighting director? I mean, the way that the, the, the screen was lit up, the, the lights off of it. I mean, I just think of so many moments. Um, do you guys have like a favorite era for Corotta? I mean, probably not, probably right now. The moving rig. Yeah, it's just it's it's crazy. It's so it's just it's kind of it's just insane. It's, I mean, it's the hard moving to explain, rig, you know. The moving rig's amazing because you can watch it from behind, and it's still super fascinating. I think I've seen it from like right directly on the side, right behind, and right in front, and it's just it's incredible. As someone who grew up doing theater and goes to see a lot of Broadway shows. There's nothing like that where the lights actually take on shapes and tell a story and move and become almost like a character. Like, and I don't think it's just the drugs. I think they really do kind of like he envelops in a way that, and makes the stage three dimensional in a way that is, is I think totally revolutionary. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, when you, you it's a, such a good point of like there, I don't think there's been any rig that he's used that allows so many different angles of viewing throughout the arena or throughout the venue to like, just hit you in a very different way. I mean, I've seen that rig from far back in places. I've seen it from very close up and in every place that you go, the moving rig just hits you. I, I really loved the, um, 2013 to 2015 lighting rig that he was using that had it, it didn't move but it had like these lights across the front of the stage that really gave a stop making sense vibe to a lot of their jams it would just like go up into like the bands like right up into their faces and like it would like cast a really cool shadow off them it also had the screen behind them that would change colors and whatnot it was um i don't know it's just such a such an interesting take on it i also love when I think about like 97 and just like the simple, it was like a palette of lights. He was, it wasn't crazy. It was all stationary. Um, but it just added such a cool backdrop to some of those jams in 1997. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I tend to think about it as like the lights weren't as good. And so 
it just along along with the technology point I made earlier, but I do think some of those some of those were really cool. Also, Ghost of the Forest was was a pretty sweet mm. pretty sweet setup. Um, that was that was pretty wild. Do you I have like any pictures per- from some of the two thousands rigs? Those like huge huge ones, which is like all the lights. I mean, those were really massive huge rigs. If you look at pictures of that, it's pretty. It's pretty insane. I think that photography of fish shows is the way it is definitely because of Corona. I mean, the way you can take shots now of the band, it's just, I think it definitely changes not only the way people are experiencing the show there, but the way that people, the imagery that people leave with about the shows in a huge way. Yeah, it's wild. I like think about how many pictures I have on my phone of... (laughs) the stage and I don't even like try to zoom in on the band members because the whole, like the thing I'm trying to capture is the way that the lights look in that moment and the impact that that had on like that point in the show. Um, do you guys have any favorite moments that you've like either witnessed live or you've seen just like on screen um, where Corota's lights just like connect with the band in such a perfect way? I mean, I think there's certain songs that I think of, like I think of like Mike's and like the dark red that comes out and like those evil moments. And when you get like the really juicy dark reds, I just think certain songs have like certain lights in my mind. Like when I listen to them, I think about that color or that kind of palette. I was really blown away this summer by the lights last summer when I was on tour. I just felt like there were so many moments when I was dancing or distracted and then I would look up and the lights would be doing like some insane shape that I just wasn't expecting. I think there was a lot of those moments, not that I can recall off the top of my head, but I, but I I definitely feel like there was so many moments where I watched the stage more than I have in the past. I think, I think the moments have changed a little bit for me, at least like the, you know, the, the jump into the Reba jam was always like one of the best lighting moments of a show. Just, there was like, it just went from, you know, the kind of frenetic Reba into the jam and there would be like a purple bluish light that was just like stationary over the crowd that was perfect for that jam. And like the end of Antelope, you know, when the, when the jam ends and it goes back into, um, back into the, the Rai Rai Rocco part that, that too, there's like a couple of moments like that, which I don't notice as much anymore. I think it's more like during the improv where he's just doing insane shit that, is noticeable. I don't even know if he does the same, those same kind of breaks in those songs as he used to. It's probably different. I actually, I'm not sure that I've like noticed that much recently. No, I th- I think he does. Cause I mean, your point about Reba is, is where I like, that's for me with hood. It's when, when they go in, when they come out of the final, mm-hmm. um, thank you, Mr. Hood. And it go, he, he turns the lights. There's like a blue, purple green somewhere in there and no matter the lighting rig that i've seen it's always the same it's slave does it as well and you just like you just feel like the lights are hugging you um i think improv wise and maybe this is a good transition into our second segment but the island tour twist is always one of my favorite moments where his lights you know you talk about the uh like the 97 lights, which were basically just cans and they were stationary and it was whatever he could do advancing that technology, whatever he does in that twist on four two ninety eight, just like matches this alien invasion, you know, close encounters of the third kind type of uh, uh, jamming that the band has on stage. If you watch the video of it, it's on YouTube. It's just unbelievable to see every time you you watch it. It looks like the stage is about to levitate and and it's just going to blow through the Nassau Coliseum. It's unbelievable. The island tour was pretty awesome, I'd say. I like how you picked up on that segue and just went with it. That was <laughs> the island tour was pretty awesome. Chris Corona <laughs> is awesome, and the island tour is awesome. And it being April sixth means that it's time to look back on the island tour. RJ, you said it was awesome. Tell me your thoughts about the island tour. Just, just run with it. What What do you feel? What do, What is it like for you when when you listen to and think back on the island tour? 
Um, yeah, like you said earlier, I mean, it's the only run of shows that I really listen to on the anniversary. Like, I think in December, sometimes I'll listen to like the, the 97 December run on the dates, but Island tour every year. And maybe it's just because it's in April. So there's like, there's a break between, you know, new year's and, and like we talked about in our bonus segment, not a lot of like March, February shows. So typically there's like, you know, it's kind of like the first anniversary of the year to, to come up fish wise. And I was at three of the four shows and it was just so, it just felt like so organic the way it came together. And, um, the music was just, we didn't know it at the time, but it was sort of a transition between the 97 sound and what would become the kind of late nineties millennial sound. Um, and some of those, some of those jams are just timeless. You know, there's, they're most of the jams in that of that run are the ones that I like know exactly what's coming every single time, which means I've listened to it too much probably, but um, they're just, they're kind of perfect shows. All of them. There's the first, I feel like the first night gets like the most attention somehow because of that twist jam you mentioned, which is great, but ever all four of the shows are just amazing. Meg, were you at the Island Tour shows? I was not. I wish. These shows are just masterful. It's like the perfect setless construction. Every night just seems inspired, which is pretty incredible. But for a four-night run to have every night, I mean, when I was re-listening back, it's hard to pick a favorite because there's just moments that, so many moments in each of these shows where you're like, wow, that was absolutely perfect. I mean, that first night, I absolutely love that second set is just Wolfman's Sneak and Sally. Frankie says, I mean, that is just like the perfect song in that spot into that twist. And then, you know, Sleeping Monkey, they're having a blast. But it, and an encore with Coyote. I mean, it's like really, really good stuff. And the first set is amazing, too. I mean, it's just it's the stash is incredible into horn waste. There's so many good moments from these shows. It's it's kind of ridiculous, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's wild how I listen back to these as as one does um, on the anniversaries. I threw this on when I was driving on Saturday uh, for 298, and I turned it up really loud as Tube comes in. And like, I, th- I think I texted you all, like, the way that Trey sings the first verse of Tube, he's just, he knows we we sound great. We're super yeah. tight. We're already in the pocket. Like, we, we have four nights to do whatever we want. There's literally no expectations. We've just been recording together and making incredible music. We have new songs that we want to play for people that they've never heard before that are going to sound like jams from last fall. Like it had to be such a creative high point for them and a moment of like, we can do everything like we can, or we can do anything. Like we just booked these shows six weeks ago and they sold out instantly. Like, why would we do anything other than live in this bubble that we're in and just continue to create music for these people? Um, I don't know. It's just, it feels like such a unified moment between band and audience as well, in terms of, we can just tell you, come to these shows, you know, they're going to be great. And people are just going to show up to arenas, like which four years earlier would have just been inconceivable for the band. Yeah, they, it's crazy. There's only two debuts of in the four show run, which, you know, at this point, anytime you see fish, like the beginning of any tour is going to have some new songs. Like that's just how it goes. But so I think your point, Brian, about how they were just comfortable where they were and, and happy, like content with where they were, you know, it seems like that's how, that's how this feels. Um, and yeah, like I was a freshman in college, so this was toward the end of my first year of college and we just drove to Long Island and went to two shows and then drove to Providence and then drove back to Ohio. And it was just like, it was just, it was continuing the like carefree and amazing, uh, feeling of, of fall 97, just being able to see some shows right that close to that, that tour, which was so amazing. Um, was just, I I feel like they felt the same way that, that we felt. Um, and Nassau, you know, a, a classic, classic venue, of course, but that was, that was the first, first time they played there. I mean, how amazing must that have been to come off this tour where they just absolutely killed all fall, just one of their best tours ever. 
And I think they also had a sense of a huge accomplishment after 97, um, just the changes they'd made sonically. And then to come in and play at this, like, in Nassau Coliseum, if, you know, if you're a Grateful Dead fan, that is, like, it's one of the famous places to sell out a four-night run there and just kill it. It's, you can tell, there was, there was magic there. It seems like the audience was just totally pumped, too. I mean, the energy seems wild from the audience. Yeah. And they make some just remarkable set listing decisions, you know, opening with tube, a song that had a huge performance, uh, four months earlier in Dayton, um, opening the second night with Mike song and Mike's and week just going, you know, just having these amazing performances opening the second set of the second night with roses are free a song that they played twice at the latter part of 97. It was clearly like a song that they liked at that point in time. And, somehow taps into all the you know musical ideas that were stewing around at that point and and seems to point the band forward towards a more minimalistic a more ambient type of jamming that you would hear throughout uh 1998 and 99 then to close that show with tweezer reprise after not playing tweezer at all in the first two shows <laughs> only to open with tweezer the following night um and then on the final night, you get a Okipaw, You Enjoy Myself opener, which, you know, to me just says, we just played three incredible shows. Tonight is just like, a, you know, sigh, you know, like like a an exhale and just like, a, oh my God, we're just going to celebrate the fact that we just did this. This this was not conceived, you know, three or four nights ago before, before we started this. It's amazing. I mean, there's so much music over those four shows, which is why it, it's just, it's just so like, there's not, I don't know if there's another four show run that is as high quality musically as this. Maybe, maybe the kind of December 97 um, would be up there, but I don't know. It's it just, it's, it's so great. It's so great. Yeah. I wonder what it is. I mean, the most recent edition of the fish companion, the the hardcover version has the great um, best week in fish history question mark. And they have like six or seven weeks throughout the band or throughout the band's mm-hmm. history where like they identify five or six show runs that were just really strong. I think that the very last one that they had logged at the time of it being released was um, uh, the end of, summer 2003 72903 to it8303 but this is definitely in there as like the strongest stretch of every single show as you said it has highlights galore i listen to these in full and there's never a moment where i'm like i'm going to skip past this song or i don't necessarily need to hear this set every single set um has has a moment and has like flow in it that you have to listen to um do you guys have a favorite set within the Island tour weekend? That is a very hard question. It's very hard. It's a very hard question. I think I, I was looking at the fishnet rankings or ratings earlier and out of the three shows in terms of the, the star rating, um, the fourth has the the highest rating of the, of the four shows, which I'm not, I'm a little surprised by. I think that's my favorite overall show of, of the, of the four, but um, I was a little bit surprised that it had a higher rating than than the others. I think the, I mean, it seems it seems to me that the second set of four three is like the most interesting of of the of the four. I think that's the most interesting. I think I texted a friend the other day and said, I think you could make an argument that the that roses are free jam is like the peak point mm-hmm. of fish point one point oh. Wow. Yeah, I mean that I think that might be the jam of the tour for sure. I I also think the second set though from the last night is my favorite just because I love the funk and when Trey's talking it's about really playing the funk. Yeah, and it's just so fun when he's like, you know, if you're not into this, you can leave, but if you like the funk, stay, let's dance, you know. I mean that like if Trey said that today, I would like have a heart attack and die of happiness. That is just they're feeling it, you know. They're feeling the groove right there. That's so for me that's definitely that's definitely my favorite set. Yeah, I think the the Roses Piper combination is 
the peak of musical improv for for me of of the overall weekend. It's just there's so much interesting music happening. There's so much like like the Piper is a jam out of the end of the song in a way that they've never jammed it since. And you get Trey's volume swells, Fishman, who just is like destroying his drums. It's like this wall of sound. It's, I don't know. It, it sounds like, like deep in the recesses of human rhythmic playing. And then Paige isn't on the clav. He isn't on the organ. He's not like he's on this grand piano in this segment that is so psychedelic and so dark. And it's such a musical decision that like, I will always be fascinated by. And and I love when ever the band is in a really deep, deep psychedelic space and Paige, who has all these keyboards at his disposal decides to stay on the baby grand piano and give it this like regal and elegant sound to it. But for me, I think the four four second set, it, it's so fluid. You get this really cool birds of a feather jam. My favorite 2001 the band has ever played. Uh, brother that then goes into a jam and then they pause it and come back and go, okay, that was the radio friendly edit. This next song's radio unfriendly. Like that moment is right there with what <laughs> yeah. you're talking about, Meg. With like, if you don't want to dance the funk, you can go home or you can stay and kick it with us. Like, this like them recognizing that like the radio is never going to play this and we're going to play a 17 minute long ghost here. But then you end with just like fish royalty lizards and Bowie closes out the set and they come out for the encore and they play Harry hood. I, I don't know how you close a set better and then encore better at a point like that. It's just, I, I, I listen to that set in full um, probably more than any other aspect of the Island tour. That's that's amazing. That whole Birds 2001 Brother, it just sounds like one long jam with like some songs in it. Like it's just so packed with ideas. It's awesome. It's a great way to yeah. describe it. It's it's really, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I don't it's hard to like say that one show's better than the other. I do think it's I don't know if there's another song since like the early 90s that has been played twice in three shows. Um, like Birds of a Feather was played twice in this this run. Um, that's too advanced for me in terms of statistics, but <laughs> it's pretty wild that like two days later they play it again and they just like jam on the same run. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, that song's what, amazing in these in these tours. Though it's like you can play it twice if you're going to play it that good. Even though right. Birds of a Feather makes me feel really bad about myself because I feel like it's like so judgmental about fish fans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. You I'm like, am I that. dancing like in a curly cue dance right now? Like I need to stop. Wow. I had never really thought about that. Um, that's going to change the way I think about it now. Sorry. Um, I think the, the, the argument for the, the third, the second set of the third, I just want to add to the fourth song, second set, which is amazing. The Karini Helly's Comet, Tweezer reprise encore, which you you alluded to earlier, Brian. But you know, with the Karini and in Antelope, the Karini's gonna get you thing. Um, the that whole second set and encore is just like that's just a moment in fish history that I'll never forget. It was just like such a it was it was so wild, you know. Um, and I think musically, what I was saying earlier about like the peak of 1.0, like I think this is where the like the 97 sound was amazing, but they started to, they started to rely on like the funk right in the fall tour, which was great. I mean, best, one of the best tours ever, but they start adding more of these like dark, you know, ambient sounds and just more like ideas, like you said, Megan, in this. And I think you can, you can hear it toward the end of 97, especially in the new year's run, but by this tour, they're like that Rose's jam is like a it's like a representation of all the previous years of like improvisation that like led up to that point. And I feel like after that, it's not like it went downhill in ninety eight and ninety nine, but I think it was like an evolution of that same approach. Like it got more ambient and more spacey and sort of more, you know, they start to to play with like the digital kind of tools that you hear more in 99 in this tour also. But I think you start, this is like the apex to me of like 
the improv in, in 1.0, even though there's like a lot of great stuff in 98, 99, I just think this is like, this is the peak. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And I feel like it's such a rare moment that we're so lucky that they did this, that evolution probably would have happened based on just time away from the stage and based on the music that they were playing um, as they were recording story of the ghost. But had they not played the Island tour, you know, they probably come back summer 98 and you hear this clear evolution of whatever they did in 97 is now a new sound that's picked up elements of it, but also has new ideas, you know, uh, scattered throughout the Island tour gives us this like halfway point between 97's funk and 98's ambient. And I almost wonder, you know, where we're sitting here two weeks out from this MSG run, you know, fish plays this incredible summer tour in 2021. They play this fall tour that blows people, blows people away. The one show at um, rock Lilith's that you can kind of, you know, that was, that was just like a show to, to, you know, to really like celebrate that, like, okay, we can still play music even though we can't play in front of people right now. But then you have this Mexico run, this MSG run and this, I think eight show early summer run before they actually hit the road for like a multi-week tour. And I wonder in a year or so, if we're going to look back and hear Mexico MSG early summer, 2022, as these like minor evolutionary steps forward in the same way the Island tour took us from fall 1997 into late summer, 1998. I don't know. It's, it's all speculation at this point, but it's cool to hear them in such an isolated setting taking aspects of their past and applying them as they're continuing constant evolution is going to always happen with fish. And they're, they, they did that in 1998. But I think it's not just speculation because we kind of saw that in Mexico, you know, we started right. to see kind of an evolution from the fall sound that I think was pretty amazing. It wasn't just a continuation of the fall sound. So I think you're right. I think we're totally going to hear, I think MSG is going to be really telling. Yeah, like what did they pick up from Mexico as well, and where yeah. does that go? It's exciting. I want to give a quick shout out um, after we we shout out Phil Cassetta. Sorry. I never picked on these shows, but four three and four four second sets are in the top whatever, which is a really good way to put it. You know, yeah. the top whatever. I think that that's like the best way to classify fish ranking of all second sets. I've always looked at this, at this as the behind the curtain look to what was about to happen in summer 98, which was yet another transformation. I think that's such 100%. a great way to put it. Um, I want to shout out Brian Golenberg, who was here on Monday when we were talking through 4-4-1990 and has requested that we talk about 1990 again. We will get back there, Brian. Yes. We have a lot of content. Don't worry. Don't worry. We just have to celebrate Island Tour right now. Jonathan will um, be so happy. Jonathan will be very happy about that. <laughs> he was, I've never seen him so giddy as he was during Monday's show. Um, can I share a quick story? Yes. Please. Okay. So as I'm like understanding fish as a total noob, I've hear about the island tour and of course like the whole thing blows me away and the person who got me into fish like explained everything perfectly he was like no dude you don't understand they announce it and like three weeks later they're playing shows and it's like the greatest shows ever and i was like i gotta hear this and but you know at the time i'm like collecting i've got to hear 12 31 95 and i've got to hear a halloween show and i've got to hear a festival so like the island tour took something of a back seat for me and so i'd never heard any of these shows um, fast forward two summers, I ate mushrooms for the first time on night zero at Bonnaroo, which is like a very classic 18 year old thing to do. You're at a music festival for the first time and you just eat a bunch of drugs. And I was walking around with a friend at like two o'clock in the morning. We end up at a campsite and we're talking to people. And prior to this, like I'd read about the roses jam and I'd read about the tweezerless twee prize. And I'd read about this funky cavern. But I had never heard any of this stuff. And we're sitting at the campfire and I'm still like in outer space. And I just start to hear this like funk groove. I knew that there was a fish set playing in the background. But I hear this funk groove and I hear Trey singing Cavern. And in my head in the moment, it's not Trey singing Cavern. It's like this giant lizard singing Cavern because it sounds so evil and so dark. <laughs> 
and it's like coming from like two tenths away. And I was like, I can't go over there and like, like in my state, I can't go over and like ask to confirm because I'm just going to be too insane about it. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like three, four o'clock in the morning. I don't know what it was on just like another planet listening for the first time, this very specific moment in fish history. It's always something I will go back to. Every time I hear that, I get like a little tingle in my spine of like, I, I get <laughs> back to L- little oh muscle my. memory. <laughs> A little like, whoa, whoa. I can't listen to it when I'm like driving type of thing, you know, but. That's um, amazing. Oh, that's an awesome story. That cavern is special. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like slow and like super funky and like they're just this attitude to get the old lyrics. Like it's really, it's fun. It's kind of like the best fish banter of all time, which is saying something, which Mm -hmm. is a big statement to make, but it's kind of like, it's, it's the most fun banter. I think think he's done. Yeah, it's such a way, it's such confidence. Like that is another thing I just take away from this run is just how the band kind of knew that they were the best band in, in the world at that point in time. And they were playing with it. And every time they spoke to the audience, it was like, we know we could schedule shows for three weeks from now and all of you would be there. <laughs> you know, and like there's just- <laughs> We've there's got you right here. <laughs> We've got you. You know, what's wild is Todd Phillips films Fish at the Great Went, at Rochester 97, and in Europe, Summer 98, and does not get the call for the island tour. They have a documentary crew that's in contract with filming the band, and they don't catch any island tour stuff. It's unbelievable. I mean, that's very weird. They must have recorded it, though, right? There are videos on YouTube. There's fan. There's fan shots. But I mean, um, like, it looks like it's like they did for the '97 shows for dinner and movie. I mean, there's. Don't you think there's there video? has to be video of it? Yeah. They they did one of they did four four for dinner and a movie last year. So yeah, they have the like soundboard cam, but I don't oh, think that they like yeah. professionally had like cameras up on stage the way that they did for Bittersweet Motel or for the um, Europe ninety ninety eight shows. I forgot that they did that for dinner and a movie. I did too. I think I might have, I did, definitely didn't see it, but maybe I did after. Was it awesome? It was awesome. Oh. <laughs> How did I miss that? I'm going to have to watch that. I think it's probably still up there. I think a lot of those mm-hmm. are still up there. It's, uh, if I don't know what to watch at like 1030 on a Friday night, I'm like queuing up an old dinner and a movie. It's the best. It is on YouTube. I just found it in that short time that you were saying that it still exists. So definitely exists i need to watch it i'm gonna I'm watch, gonna watch that mm-hmm. i'm gonna say that i'm gonna watch it and then i probably won't but i'm but i would love to your goal is to watch it <laughs> my goal my goal is to watch it <laughs> for the 25th anniversary of the island tour next year we should just play the shows and just comment like uh mystery science theater 3000 that would be that. awesome that would be awesome. so fun let's do it i gotta Everyone tell you just guys hang out share their comments you know i think we should mm-hmm. do it I'm i'm really bad at watching videos it's like one of the things that I'm mm-hmm. least good at. Like YouTube, I'm just not like I don't use it very much. Like there are so many shows, like either. full shows that get get posted, and I just like don't spend a lot of time watching video. If I'm it's watching a big something, commitment. yeah, you I can't guess do anything else, you know. I mostly watch like an hour of TV with my wife at night after my kids go to bed, and then we go to bed. So like, if she had, if she, we go to bed at the same time. I think that's actually a big part of it. Because mm-hmm. I think if we went to bed at different times, I would have like a whole different life after she goes to sleep. <laughs> it's kind of like when she leaves town and travels. I watch like sports and music stuff and I yeah. usually don't when she's around. Do you guys have like time where you watch things by yourself? No, I go to bed. I, I read at the same time as my husband usually. I'm a night owl and I find that if I, especially if I'm in the middle of editing a number of podcasts, um, having either a Grateful Dead show on YouTube or a fish show on YouTube mm. is a great background as I'm working through it. Um, so that's usually when it will happen. Aside from that, I mean, I'll, shout out to everyone who's watching us on YouTube as we're talking yeah. about you watch things on yeah. YouTube. I do. I have come to, I really like watching um, uh, Pod Save the World and the 538 Politics podcast on YouTube. I don't know why. I just like looking at the, those people rather than just like having them in my earbuds. And they're just, huh. uh, they're good to have have on in the background. Wow. 
All right. It, um, it is nice to see people's faces. You know, it's different. It's like it's just I something about to do Ben Rhodes' partially balding head as he's talking through world events that uh, that just really gets me. <laughs> Nate Silver's variety of hats. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. This. Um, all right, I'm going to make a commitment before our next show to watch four four ninety eight on video, so that um, it's just so I can I can do that. The fan ninety one. Yeah. I've always got a show playing on YouTube in the background. Wow, YouTube. I think Crazy. we need to get into this, RJ. Okay, we're yeah. going to get into this. There's a guy. Um, I'm blanking on his name. I'm actually going to look it up right now. While Christopher Hazard is who it is, who is um, done a great service for Grateful Dead fans ever. He's, he's remastered a probably a hundred, hundred and fifty at this point in time. Full wow. Grateful Dead shows. I was watching last night as I was doing a little bit of work in the wee hours. Um, uh, I was watching seven twenty four eighty seven from Oakland, California. And he's done a ton of great work, like touching up the, just the appearance of the band. It's very clear. It looks like it was filmed today and huh. seen post coma Jerry as he's like getting his health back and Bob's shorts, like literally like oh. just go past his thighs. Phil's got this like buzz cut. It's like flat top and the, <laughs> you know, the base without the head on it. Mickey's just like going crazy. I mean, Brent, looks amazing oh, in it his beard his hair so good uh, it's it's great stuff so 724 87 and then it's got a third set dylan which um i know this is controversial mm-hmm. we'll cover this in a um uh dead dead friendly podcast next um yes chris hazard is the charlie miller of youtube that is a really great great way to put it so look forward a year from now we are going to do four straight nights i'm putting it in stone right now i'm going to book it in our in our planning doc four straight nights april 2nd 3rd 4th and 5th we're going to watch the full island tour shows talk about it as it's happening um and uh you guys can all join us for the 25th anniversary of the island tour the island tour is amazing and uh, i'm so glad to talk about it with you guys anything else you want to say about it any jam that we forgot um i just want to say that well no never mind i was going to say something controversial also they're they're Jeez. great. There are a couple. There's a one recent Goose show from Cleveland that was posted in full on YouTube, and that's another show that I was definitely going to watch and then didn't. Um, but they <laughs> they post like full shows once in a while, and they're always so good and they're so well done. They're like they're just they do it right, you know. They make sure that it's all done perfectly, and um, so that's all. Talk For anyone out there who learned a lot from Fish, yeah. Yeah. For anyone out there who who's potentially goose skeptic or who's not, who is fully on board, um, that Cleveland show that you're talking about that's on YouTube as a full show, highly, highly recommend that as a uh, as a way to check out the band. Um, it is one of my favorite shows from their winter tour. And also, please be listening to the Great Beyond podcast here on Osiris mm-hmm. Media, which covers the goose which covers goose and had a great episode come out today talking with Coach. Um one of the jack of all trades for the goose crew. Um, amazing episode. Great dudes. Thank you, Brian. You're welcome. What else do we got? Anything? Are we good? Did we do it? I think we, we did, did it. it. I think we did it. We celebrated Chris Carota. We solved um, date mysteries within fish history. And, um, we talked about the Island tour. This was a really fun episode. We have a bonus episode that is coming out. Probably on Friday, I think, is when it's going to come out. Where um, Megan, what did we talk about in our bonus episode here today? We talked about our favorite shows from our birthday month. We did. So you get to learn our birthdays, and you get to hear about our favorite shows. It was really, really fun. It was excellent. RJ, Megan, this is always a treat for me on Mondays and Wednesdays. We'll be back next Monday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern with Benji Eisen to talk through spring. No, actually, that is not true. I'm, I'm wrong. I, I, I messed up. Sorry. We have an awesome guest on Monday. We're going to be talking with Karina Reichman. Karina Reichman, bass extraordinaire, awesome musician, awesome person. She is the host of the Osiris Media podcast, Inappropriate Happiness. We're going to use this as an opportunity to talk with her about her time uh, sound checking with Fish 
and uh, talk through some of her favorite MSG shows before we jump into fish MSG coverage. We will be talking to Benji on Wednesday, where we will be continuing our spring 1992 30 years look back deep dive. A lot of great stuff. Some awesome guests coming up here in the month of April. We will see you all on Monday. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.